The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. This one on the topic of predictive analytics. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Eric Siegel, founder of Predictive Analytics World and the author of Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Thanks so much for making the time to be with us today. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I'm a former academic. I was a professor in the computer science department at Columbia University, where I focused on machine learning, which really is the academic research and development term. Essentially, means the same thing as predictive analytics. I've been a consultant in business applications of predictive analytics since 2003, and since 2009, have been serving as the conference founding chair of Predictive Analytics World, which is the leading cross-vendor event series focused on commercial deployment. And we have 10 events a year internationally. Wow. Just having come back from the largest healthcare event of the year, HIMSS, I can imagine that 10 events a year keeps you quite busy. Well, you know, it does. One of the ways that predictive analytics as a field has been growing and that we've also been growing the conference specifically is that it's focused more and more on different verticals. So in the business world, in healthcare, workforce, manufacturing, financial services, and government. And for each of those vertical-specific predictive analytics world events, we have experts. In other words, I've delegated. Perfect. So that's the way it works. Perfect. All right. Could you take a couple of minutes now and give our audience a 10,000-foot overview of your book, Predictive Analytics? Well, sure. You know, the title of the book actually is a broad definition of the field. The subtitle, Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. And those last four rhyming verbs there, alluding to all the different industries and all the different types of behaviors that can be predicted. The book is conceptually complete. I'm a former academic, and it serves as a textbook, 35 or more universities. Wow. But it's not written like a textbook. It's written in a much more sort of entertaining, conducive, anecdotally driven, pop science type of mode. It's very accessible. Anybody can understand it. And for those who are already familiar with the field, you'll find the last three chapters cover more advanced, cutting-edge topic areas that are new to even senior hands-on technical practitioners of the field. But what the book is meant to do is to describe exactly how predictive analytics works in a way that's understandable to everyone and how it provides value. The little bit more specific definition than the title itself is that this is technology that learns from data to render predictions 
for many individuals, usually individual humans, but there's lots of other applications like manufacturing and equipment maintenance and, and all kinds of, of fields. In order to drive decisions, such as in targeting marketing decisions and to targeting healthcare treatment decisions on a case-by-case basis. So that's really the defining characteristics that differentiates it from forecasting. Obviously, forecasting is another aspect of predicting the future. That's going to be more singular aggregate trends. Is the economy going to go up or down? Who's going to win a political election? How many ice cream cones are we going to sell next quarter? Whereas predictive analytics is making predictions for each individual, which individual is likely to have an ice cream cone to click buy, lie, or die? Wow, fascinating. You teed up my next question perfectly. How does it work? How does predictive analytics work? So as I mentioned you know, in the definition, it's learning from data. So data oftentimes sounds like kind of a dry, banal, mechanical thing. It's a bunch of ones and zeros, but it isn't. Don't forget, data is actually a list of things that have happened. It's a recording of history. It's an encoding of the aggregate experience of an organization. And just like people learn from experience, you can analytically apply machine learning methods. These are methods like decision trees and neural networks and ensemble models, which are number-crunching methods, trial and error, that, is, that learn from data. They draw generalizations. They find patterns and other types of mathematical formula that will apply not only what over situations that have occurred in the past, but new unforeseen situations that are going to occur in the future. So you're actually literally learning from example, learning from data in order to render these predictions. Great. How does predictive analytics drive commerce, manufacturing, healthcare, government, law enforcement, etc.? Well, all of these things, all the organizations that make the world go round, everything that defines a functioning society, our experience in everyday society as consumers, as you walk down the street, is dictated and defined by how you're treated and served by these organizations. And the main operations of these organizations, whether it's in marketing, fraud detection, credit scoring, deciding whether you're approved for a credit card, which healthcare treatment you get, which voter's door is knocked on by a campaign volunteer, all these millions of per-case decisions and all the mass-level operations, the main activities that keep society moving, are increasingly improved with the predictions that are output from a predictive model. And it's prediction which is the key to rendering these mass scale operations more effective because, well, how do you decide who to market to? Who are you going to spend $2 sending a brochure to based on the prediction, will they buy? Whose door do I knock on if I'm a campaign volunteer? That list is handed to campaign volunteers based on the prediction of who's most likely to be positively influenced to vote for your candidate by that interaction. Same thing with healthcare treatment. Who's at risk of being readmitted to a hospital? Therefore, we should flag and take a second look before we release. Who's at risk of mortality if they're applied certain medical treatments or procedures? All of these case-by-case decisions in general are improved with prediction. Perfect. It's kind of a sneaky question that I really want to know the answer to. What is the real reason the NSA wants our data? (laughs) I believe that there is a secondary reason which is at least as important as the one we're all familiar with. And what the one we're all familiar with is 
just in case you become a person of interest. They want to have it at, without needing to get a court order. They want to have it at their fingertips so they can take a look at you. But I think at least as important is everything I just described. You want a swath of data, a huge amount of bulk data about the population in order to learn from it, in order to triage and target and render more efficient law enforcement activities. Law enforcement is a needle in the haystack problem. Right. And before you make the haystack smaller, you first have to make it bigger. So there's two stages. First, you make it as big as possible. Then you've got that learning data in order to analytically derive these patterns, which are then going to help sift and sort more effectively. And it's not, this doesn't just apply to the NSA. The FBI has come out publicly saying that they do terrorism prediction scoring. And local precincts are doing this more and more. And exactly the same analog applies simply for fraud detection, which is the largest predictive analytics application adopted by government in general. So same thing. You've got all these human resources, limited, valuable bandwidth of these resources to, well, in the case of fraud, to be scrutinizing transactions and try to determine and audit them. Is this legitimate or is it fraudulent? Well, if you're a fraud auditor, human, or a law enforcement officer who's pouring through lots of individual cases to decide which should be spent more time on, which should be looked at more carefully, that time is going to be multiplicatively more effectively used if the list of prospective individual cases on your desk or, of course, really on your computer screen is determined by the best science has to offer about trying to triage and sort that massive haystack list to most likely down to least likely. Got it. Eric, what are some of the most bizarre discoveries you know of from data? Oh, you know, I actually made an entire table of the sort of more interesting Freakonomics-esque type discoveries and, and stuck it into chapter three. Awesome. But there's a million of them. One of the most classic and well-known ones is that people going into a certain retail store to buy diapers were more likely than average to buy beer on the same trip. Now, the thing you get with these types of insights is you discover something that helps predict but doesn't necessarily explain the why. So in the case of diapers and beer, you might conjecture, well, as some people put it, daddy needs a beer. (laughs) So some... So somebody who's shopping is, who's got a baby wants beer. But the fact is you don't necessarily know the causal or explanation, the causal relationship between those things. So you're going to get insights from data. Data is always predictive. And that's what's so big about big data. Not so much the size of the data, which is kind of, it's, which is astounding, and it's sort of, but it's also kind of a mundane issue because it's, always growing so quickly that a year from now, the amount of data we have now will look small. The issue isn't so much the absolute size, but how quickly it's growing and how valuable it is. And the value is that it's predictive. So you're going to always get these insights that help predict. Some of them are going to be surprising or counterintuitive or may beg for intuitive interpretations that are not necessarily conclusive. But there's a million of them. Pop-tarts, are on higher demand right before a hurricane and higher crime neighborhoods are more likely to require Uber rides. Interesting. 
You mentioned readmission avoidance. What else can you tell us about the progress of predictive analytics in healthcare? So predictive analytics for healthcare is extremely uh, hot and growing area. And in fact, one of our predictive analytics world events is for healthcare. Predictive analytics work for healthcare takes place in New York City October 24th through 27th later this year, and that'll be the second or third annual Paul Healthcare event. Now, the reason for that is that there's such a demand for more information about it. Within healthcare, readmissions is only one of many things that you can predict. There's also much more directly clinical predictive models for specifically for diagnosis, diagnosis of breast cancer, which has been shown in certain medical studies to diagnose more accurately than the human experts. Predicting HIV progression, predicting death, of course, the last word of the title of my book, Click, Buy, Lie, or Die, death prediction, of course, that applies for life insurance. It turns out also applies for health insurance. And then clinically, of course, you can even go online and find these predictive models that are going to predict your risk of death in the case of bowel obstruction surgery or many other procedures where you fill out a little form and it tells you what the risk of death if you undergo that procedure. Of course, you also want to look at the risk of death if you don't undergo the procedure. There's also all kinds of applications in pharmaceuticals and prescription compliance. So you want to get people to comply with the prescriptions and you need to triage the time spent seeking out those patients who are not compliant and focus and target the intervention of, say, nurse practitioners or what have you, knocking on patients' doors. The application areas are huge within healthcare, but just like all the other domains, I think it's really important to understand that this is not about predicting accurately in the conventional sense of the word or like a magic crystal ball, but rather it's about predicting better than guessing. It's about tipping the odds in the numbers games that we play. Organizational processes are often sort of lost games or poorly played number games. Mass marketing is mostly just junk mail or spam. And these things are made that much more effective. If there's a very rare medical condition, wouldn't it be nice if we caught it three times more often? That still may be a minority of the cases, but we're tipping the odds. So it's that kind of numbers game that predictive analytics helps with, regardless of the domain, whether it's healthcare or otherwise. In your book, you share more insight on this, but what should all businesses learn about persuasion from presidential campaigns? There's two things to learn about persuasion from presidential campaigns. First of all, what presidential campaigns have been doing right for many decades is that they know they should spend their resources, at least in the general election, on the so-called swing states. So as a resident of California, I see little to no ads on TV for presidential candidates, and that's because they know California is a lock. It's either a sure thing or a lost cause, depending on your perspective, depending on your political orientation. And the same thing applies to marketing and to many other endeavors and to healthcare. You don't apply an expensive treatment, a $2 glossy brochure in the case of marketing treatment and an expensive medical procedure if there's extremely low chance of it making any difference or in some cases even a higher chance than average of it backfiring. So the presidential campaigns have been doing that correctly. They've been avoiding states that are not swing states. Now it turns out the second reason is that as of 2012, 
with Obama's reelection campaign, they actually applied predictive analytics on the granular level per individual voter, rendering a predictive score or probability for each individual as far as the chances they would be positively influenced to vote for their candidate. This is the Obama campaign if one of their volunteers interacts like a knock on the door or a phone call in order to drive that army and make that same sized army of volunteer, that's their sales force, that much more strong and effective by targeting it predictively in this way. Not to people likely to vote for Obama or not likely to vote for Obama, but rather people more likely to be positively influenced by that marketing treatment. Same thing applies in healthcare. Great. Eric, what have I missed? What else will readers learn when they go to Amazon and purchase your book? I'm glad you asked. There's two sides to this field, right? And there's sort of two reasons to be excited about it. One is that, you know, the value in improving all these operations and the bottom line for business or the improvement in mortality rates for healthcare and such are so astronomical and it's a unique contribution. There's no other way to tap it. Prediction is the way to render mass scale operations more effective. So that's exciting. And then the other thing that's fascinating is the core underlying science. This ability for a machine, it's called machine learning for a reason. It's literally doing induction, which is sort of the opposite of deduction. It's garnering what holds in general, what rules or patterns and what have you, from the millions of examples of how things have gone in the past. Now, that science has potential to intimidate or to distract one from the actual value and the purpose of doing this stuff. So I like when I give a presentation or write and including the book, you know, I like to f- strike that balance where you're going to get pulled in on both sides and you're not going to get stuck in the weeds of the technology, but you're also not going to just be looking at business value and forget about how this technology works. I mean, the technology is quite fascinating, and it's also important to get a sense of what it's doing and what kind of data it needs in order to, to make use of it. So I think that that would be the main thing you get from the book. You get a good dose of both. There's 183 mini case studies and central color tables of the book. So as far as the business and organizational value, and then there's many chapters that dive in and even get into under the hood and see what it actually looks like in an accessible way as far as what it means to learn from data. Great. Eric, as we wind down here, before I let you go, where can people go to learn more about first predictive analytics world and then about your book? Sure. PredictiveAnalyticsWorld.com is a website, and you can see all of our agendas. The agenda for Predictive Analytics World for Healthcare has not been launched. It will be in coming weeks, but other events at Predictive Analytics World this year are fully posted with all of the lists of speakers and the agenda overview webpage. My book's webpage is ThePredictionBook.com, and you can also go there to check out our new geek rap video. So a week ago, we dropped the world's first, and I would say best, of course it has to be the best because it's the first, (laughs) educational predictive analytics geek rap music video, um, which will sort of, you know, the chief data scientist of the U.S. government and his colleague who actually wrote the foreword of my book, this is DJ Patil and Thomas Davenport, published a famous article saying that Data scientist is the sexiest job of the 21st century. Now, I thought that that was reserved for firefighters, 
But if you want to sort of explore what it means for data science to be sexy and in that it's powerful and that there's sort of the geek shall inherit the earth and you want to learn more about predictive analytics, check out predictthis.org for that geek rap video. We'll definitely include predictthis.org in our show notes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Eric, it was so great to have you here today. Thanks for sharing your great wisdom and for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Eric Siegel, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.